When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, Justin. Hey, Andres. What's up, man? So, uh, day, uh, what is it? 10,756 of the lockdown. Sounds about right. Uh, yeah, man. And, uh, you know, it's uh, Groundhog Day again. <laughs> so, I, every, I mean, I, <laughs> yeah, I, it, it's, 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 the days are kind of blending together. They go kind of fast. Everything's a blur. I don't even, I don't even, I'm eating my socks, you know. But, you know, there, there is something that I know you notice that I usually don't. And that is because you're kind of you're more of a sports fan than I am. A lot. Right. More. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I think cause I, you're like, what, zero? And I'm, you know, and I've, I'm a pretty big fan. So, no, no. Well, it's it, I, I was just born with a sports gene. I was born with like the uh, the the drama gene, like the drama <laughs> club gene. And since and science fiction, yeah, and science fiction, and so of course I become a podcast person. That just makes sense. <laughs> but uh, but but I I wonder. It does make me think. Like, there's a lot of marketing that goes into sports stuff. Yeah, I don't know anything about that, obviously, because that's like it's like I barely know about marketing. But sports is like well, it's exciting that you mentioned that because uh, I actually found somebody. I found somebody to fill in the ga- to fill in the gaps for you, Andros. No, I want you to really? get knowledgeable in the world of sports marketing. That's why you're my friend. <laughs> you're damn right. That's why. <laughs> and uh, so, with that, I'm Andros Sturgeon, and I'm Justin Womack. We are the Marketing Geeks. Marketing Geeks. So, uh, yeah, man, uh, tell us uh, tell us about our guest tonight. Yes, yeah, we are we are privileged and excited to be joined by Dan Mannix today. And Dan is the CEO of CSM North America. Uh, he previously was the president and CEO of CSM Lead Dog, formerly known as Lead Dog Marketing Group, which was an integrated sports marketing agency based in New York City. In 2016, that agency was named Best in Sports Events and Experiential Marketing by Sports Business Journal. That's a pretty cool honor. That is a good honor. Yeah. And Dan founded Lead Dog 18 years ago, growing it into a global agency of 200 plus people, um, passionate people. And his new company, CSM North America, has devoted long-standing relationships with partners, creating marketing and activating brand experiences for partners such as Coca-Cola, Intel, the NFL, the NCAA, Netflix. I've heard of a lot of these companies. This is pretty good here. REI, Square, Reebok. WWE, gonna ask about that, and Audi, and a past sports business journal, 40 Under 40 Honoree. Dan brings more than 20 years of strategic marketing and partnership development for signature brand experiences and extensive work with innovation led startups. Please welcome to the show, Dan Mannix, everybody. <laughs> Thank you, uh, Andres and Justin, uh, for that, that nice lead in. 40 under 40 seems like a long time ago right now, especially <laughs> as you said, I feel like every day is uh, dog years, right? In terms of, of change and things yeah. happening. So, well, I, I was showing, I was showing Andres my gray hair. I mean, I showed you that Andres. Like, that was like some serious gray hair that came out of nowhere. So. It was weird. It was like, he took <laughs> off his hat and I thought he, I, I seriously thought he was fucking with me because he, his hair was like, like he spray painted it gray, but no, it is the. <laughs> It is the well, stress I've of being a man, right? So, well, okay. I'm curious, Justin. You mentioned the uh, the sports side of things, and when you talk about things trending now, uh, have you been able to check out the Last Dance, which is getting uh, you know huge mm. play and word of mouth? Uh, the Chicago Bulls, you know, dynasty. I've I've been like I've been avoiding ESPN recently, just because just because of I know, like they played like video game simulation tournaments and like some of this stuff is just so ridiculous. They had a horse tournament for basketball. I mean, come on. I can't, I can't support this. This is a mess. No, but I mean, I think uh, I've been reading a little bit about the last dance and it sounds like an awesome documentary. And I grew up in the, in the Jordan era uh, watching the man, you know, dominate the sports world on and on. So I I need to check it out. I have not checked it out, but but I've been hearing the buzz and I get that it's like a huge trending topic right now. Yeah, no, it's worth checking out. I I watched the first two episodes and a bit nostalgic for me because I I worked prior to 
founding lead dog. I worked at the NBA for about seven and a half years. So uh, it uh, was fun to watch. But yeah, no, it's interesting to see how um, how in sports marketing and overall media, how people are pivoting and, and experimenting. And obviously, with the lack of live sports programming, networks like ESPN have had been forced to pivot and things like the horse game uh, that I know was a, a creative attempt, I think had some, some tech issues or flow. And then you had the NFL draft, which, uh, you know, was very brought a lot of the done in a different way, but really showed the human side, you know, cutting into the athletes homes in a, in a way that I think was, you know, brought to life the human nature side of what that event means for a young, well, young, before we, before we dive into the, the marketing aspects of some of this stuff, I do want to ask you about the world of esports. Because I see esports as this huge trending industry that's about to explode. I mean, it's already been on the verge of exploding even before coronavirus, but I think this is like the impetus that's going to make it just blow up really, really fast. Uh, have you been following much about this this esports? And when I say esports for the listeners, it's it's basically professional video game tournaments. Um, but it, it's also a lot of these will be in the world of sports. Some of them won't be, but I think the ones in sports are particularly interesting, like because there won't be baseball league right now the nba is still canceled this time anyway and so we're seeing like basketball video game tournaments we'll see like madden tournaments but can you talk a little bit about what you're seeing there because that's that's an industry i'm really curious about sure yeah no we're fortunate enough to actually work with coca-cola um as their esports agency so um looking at the space closely and, and you referenced it i think some of the things there's already been an intersection where a lot of the big sports leagues and owners have been seeing the huge opportunity and you'll see a number of say NBA owners, for example, that are investing in esports or uh, franchises, teams in particular. So that's been a trend that's been happening really for the last two years. The numbers are astounding. When you look at, at Twitch or the e-gaming platforms, um, the volume of the people that are, are watching these events going to the big conferences are just, you know, in a lot of ways, blow away the numbers of traditional sports. And a good good example is so NASCAR, for example, pivoted from their programming of their live races because you know they had to cancel them, and they've been having the e races with the drivers, the NASCAR drivers participating, and you know the ratings they were having weren't weren't like typical NASCAR ratings, but they're talking like a million five uh, people joining that far exceeds so many other sports leagues in terms of what they get. So at a lot less expense. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So that's, I mean, that's obviously going to become a thing now, right? I mean, it's gotta be. Yeah. It's, there, it's, there's a couple things. I mean, it's, it's definitely already been a huge uh, trending area that, you know, there's that almost like the wild west where when something's so new and you've got a lot of traditional sports brands and leagues, seeing that the opportunities there, same thing with gambling, the same thing with some of the new technologies related to media distribution you know, everybody wants to partner with TikTok or Overtime, which is, you know, multi-sport, but basketball short form content. So there's definitely this this transition to that. And as much as people were saying they were in digital and social and short form content, this is just like times 50. You know, obviously everybody's looking at how they can bring their content to life. And again, there's the, the nice thing is there's more experimentation. So as an agency, you know, people are, are in some ways more open we're actually having like more fireside chats with some of our clients about experimenting in different areas, things that they maybe previously wouldn't have had the time to look at or that, or just the interest, but now they're just really, you know, being more experimental with what they're doing yeah. given the nature. Of you can, can you share what some of those experimental things that you're talking about are? Sure. I mean, the, the interesting thing dynamic right now, which I think is both challenging and creates opportunities is there's no set date, you know, where definitively, oh, the NBA is coming back on this date or Formula Formula One on this date. So there's a lot of scenario planning that is going to continue to pivot based on what information comes from a health and safety, from a governmental. Um, so what we're trying to be is being forward thinking, being able to tee up those scenarios. So some of the things um, that we're looking at are, you know, are we restructuring deals for some people? If, if and people being a brand, if you're a brand that's a sponsor of a league, um, what what benefits are going to carry over? If those events don't happen that you were going to have presence at, um, there's still the broadcast side. But if those aren't happening, so really, how are how are properties and brands looking at their sponsorships or partnerships? 
and what's going to carry forward, what make goods there are. So we're we're kind of we're advising on both sides because we do a lot of sponsorship representation. So for example, we're the you know the USTA we've worked with for years, the New York City Marathon, we're their sponsorship agency. So one of the things that we're really important right now is also people don't want some hard pitch about some new thing when they're they're most businesses are in such uncertainty and change themselves. So we're finding really trying to just be service oriented, create value for them and not trying to add other things, but try and like hone in on what they can maximize of their existing assets and what's the path forward. So I I think it varies by company. I mean, it's interesting. Some groups like Netflix, who we do extensive work with, their business is, you know, seeing a moment of opportunity. Um, So they're looking at other big ideas. Um, We're having conversations with city organizations about what's the big event to do when things come back. You know, part of that, I think that we can plan some big sports event when it comes back. We just may not be able to set the exact date of when that is now. So then we're mapping some of those things out. Um, Other groups have lost, you know, huge revenue streams, groups that are reliant on ticket sales. So then they're in their own cash flow situation. So we're trying to be strategic of how we can provide revenue generation opportunities for them. So now, are you um, are you tied in? You mentioned gambling briefly, and, and gambling is an interesting topic in the world of sports. And it it reminds me, it's kind of in that gray area zone, especially with like daily fantasy sports, which are a way of monetizing fantasy football. If you don't know what that is, but it's, it reminds me a lot of like the 2004 to 2006 online poker world. And these brands are making so much money that they like take over the advertising airways too with their commercials and everything. Just like that happened to poker too. <laughs> Have you gotten involved with those companies at all? And how are they like, how are they facing the pandemic? Cause I imagine they're facing gigantic revenue losses right now without, um, I, I haven't looked at it, so I don't know if they have alternate betting things. I don't know if you're betting on video games these um, days or you bet on the horse tournament, but <laughs> I, don't know. I, I think it varies depending on, um, what extent and what sports they're tied into. Um, there's definitely been, I think, revenue streams that have, have slowed down. But, but I also think there's a flexibility of, of sports leagues and properties that weren't in the past going to allow gambling tied in as much as that's changing to suddenly the, those, uh, those stringent guidelines are, are changing and people are more flexible to other revenue streams because they've lost so many revenue streams. I think there's also an aspect of Again, from the experimental standpoint, um, one startup sports league that we're working with, um, we're talking about how they can use the opportunity to really lean into fantasy, lean into gambling from a prediction standpoint, um, predictive, you know, predicting outcomes of the game. And they're more open to integrating that into the total content of the broadcast. So I, I think, you know, look, it, so much of this goes right now to timing also, like, does someone have, have, uh, cash flow have they just done an acquisition because there's been a lot of acquisitions within the gambling space but i think you find like the william hells the big gambling companies of europe are going to find more opportunities in the states now and also more flexibility imagine like say a patch deal for a jersey or naming rights on a stadium previously those would probably be areas where no way we're not going to have gambling companies be allowed to be on those i bet you're going to see more flexibility with those because they're trying to just fill revenue yeah yeah, they need to make money. So let me ask you, uh, as far because I mean, it seems like you you you're one of the I guess superpowers I could obviously see that you have with your firm is that you, you know how to be flexible and dynamic really easily. Uh, I mean, that's there's a lot of companies that still they have no sort of idea on how to deal with with what's going on. Uh, so what do you what do you see as more of a global Sort of situation like what does what what do you see our how our culture will change uh based on your just your observations what is this really in the grand scheme of things that's happening yeah no wow that's a that's a uh <laughs> uh question that could go a lot of territories it and and it's funny there's so many impacts and i think including the personal side right i think i think one mm-hmm. and there's the good parts that come out of it one thing is the ceo of a company with you know 400 people in the u.s very conscious now of these changes of what impact this is having on people from a health and wellness, mental health standpoint. And I think one good thing will come out of this is some of the openness of like challenges and issues people are having across the U.S., across the world, that hopefully it opens up some some subjects um, and new territories that people can tackle. 
separate from our healthcare system, but really what resources and support systems that I think people are going to look at in a different way, um, it, you know, that's really could impact uh, political situations, but also how companies look at disparity of high incomes of their executives to the lower level staff. So I think there's going to be a domino effect of a number of those things. Uh, so like destigmatization of some of these like issues that have been taboo to talk about, is that what you're kind of saying then? Yeah, like, yeah. Like, psychological stuff too? Yeah. Exactly. I don't know if you've seen, for example, you know, I thought it was, uh, I don't know him, but it was incredibly brave where Michael Phelps, you know, was doing a, an ad campaign tied to therapy um, and coming out saying, you know, the benefits that he got from going through therapy. And he's had some bumps in the past that, you know, uh, at different times. So I think we're going to continue to see some of those things opening up and people being able to share. Um, and it's, it, it's a unique time from a standpoint of, look, there's furloughs going on, temporary layoffs, percentage cuts to people's salaries, the retail industry laying off all people. So there's all this fear and uncertainty going on. But then you've got on the other side, people coming together in ways, again, that remind you of the humanity of your neighbors and, and folks. So Look, I think being in New York, I think there's going to be a shift potentially. A lot of people are going to question, hey, do I want to stay in the city? Do I want to like change my lifestyle? Um, mm -hmm. Which mm -hmm. I think these moments, there's a percentage of it. And I was in New York, you know, when 9-11 happened, um, there's a percentage of people that are going to really use this time to take a step back in a way that they never could because people always talk about the scarcity of time. And there's the percentage of things that, are, again, like all the health and wellness, all the online uh you know, at home fitness, um, that opportunity for people to rethink how they're mixing in fitness into their lives. Now, of course, there'll be the percentage of people that go back and just revert back to how they were before and, you know, running around cities with their heads down and their devices. But I think there's this whole aspect of digital distraction. Um, it's on both sides, right? We're connecting in ways that are really unique, that are expanding our friendships again, geographically. Um, so Sunday night, I saw a friend of mine, you know, so appropriate social distancing, but she was saying she's now having weekly calls with her law school girlfriends that she hasn't connected with in years. Um, I've called a lot of friends I haven't connected yeah. with. I think, I mean, that's, in fact, uh, you know, the list of things that, that, I mean, yes, we need to definitely look at our systems. I was reading this article about how in, I think it was 1977, there was a, a Toyota, Toyota had started parsing out a lot of their pieces and there was a valve that was being produced by this one factory that caught fire and basically all the production stopped. It was a cheap piece. And only they could make it. But they, the government basically uh, coordinated with uh, other companies. And within, I think it was like two weeks, they, they had this part like rebuilt and, and being uh, built by other companies. It was like, it was like very strategic. And, and the fact, the fact that, that this in, in globally really was such a, like everybody knew this was coming and 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 nobody was prepared for it, which is bananas. And it's also uh, a, a real uh, kind of mirror to what's happening with the environment. The well, environment is going to collapse. Absolutely. And so 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 I think that people have had a real chance to like sit in. And you you told me earlier, I think before the show, that you were uh, playing uh, catch with your son. Yeah. Which is like yeah. You know, I think there's so many things. A couple things to what you said, Andros. Um, I mean, I think a big thing, and we do a lot of. Uh, We've done a lot of environmental work. We work with the National Park Foundation. I mean, seeing that the fish are back in the canals in Venice, I think this is going to really spark a broader action plan related. Maybe this is wishful thinking on my own uh, hopes for this, mm -hmm. but a broader action plan related to tackling the environment in a way because of what the lack of preparation for coronavirus, being able to say, hey, we can't be in that same situation for the environment and we're already there. So I think there's going to be a whole movement there. I think one of the trends starting with brands and also with individuals, there was already a movement in sports marketing and marketing overall towards value purpose-driven marketing and how companies were showing what mm. they're about. And I think that's only going to continue to amplify because everybody's trying to pivot and show what their values are about. And you're seeing, again, the true colors of some groups, how they're misstepping, they're, they're not taking care of their employees first, like some of those different things that come out. And then there's the things like, as, as you mentioned, like, you know, we're fortunate enough to have some space, so I feel very privileged for that. But uh, every day I've been going out and either throwing the football with Jackson, my 10-year-old boy, 
or shooting hoops down at the school that still has their baskets or, uh, or swinging the baseball. And I feel like in the last month and a half, I've played more sports with him than I probably have in, in years. Uh, that's amazing. Which separate from the guilt of what I maybe wasn't doing. Uh, so again, hopefully that yeah. look, the work-life balance, what it sparks with people of prioritization of these moments, hopefully have people take stock of what's most important in, in life, right? Not to get too philosophical. But. No, no, but that, that's a good question because then the next question I have for you to follow up is, is can you see yourself going back to the way things were? And, and, and as, a, as a person who has like employees, how is that going to change how you let your employees work? Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. I mean, we're actively looking now and proactively and both look, there's the, there's the, uh, the boring, uh, expense side of the equation, right. Of just trying to be as resourceful as possible of like reinventing yourself. So does that mean one of our regional offices, do we look to like collaborate with another company and they move into the space and we share the space? Like what are those creative things that the good news of that in our New York office We've actually had other small groups working out of the space for years. So we've seen the benefit of the hallway discussions. Um, at the same time, and depending on how things are sequenced, it, look, there's nothing like, no matter how much technology and uh, there's value that I, we can be sitting here talking and seeing each other, but there's nothing like getting together with people face to face. But what I do think is going to change, like we had a big presentation last week to Switzerland that... Um, we probably would have been in person with five people flying to Switzerland for a 90 minute presentation. I think there's going to be more of those that five people don't get on a plane for those 90 minute presentations. Times yeah. Five, let's hope not. Yeah. Times five agencies, 25 people and the cost that now, now that may be good on one side. That's not good for the airlines. That, that's not good for yeah. the hotels or the local cafes. But so I think there's going to be some of that. And I think there's going to be a, I would envision a reinventing of office space to potentially have a series of smaller clusters of space. So I think of like the breather company where you can rent temporary space for, you know, on a day basis a week. I think there's going to be more smaller models, not the WeWork size, but smaller models of creative use of spaces, particularly because the retail industry, I don't think it's going to come back in the same way no. ever. or unfortunately. So, some of that, some of that's just disruption though. I mean, you're talking about like, yes, commercial airlines may take a hit and hotels may take a hit, but I mean, so did, so did taxi companies when Uber came along. Sure. And I mean, some of this is just cyclical. We're going to see companies get disrupted over time. And, and I agree with you. I think, I mean, why, why get on a plane and go to Switzerland when you can have the same results in 90 minutes virtually on zoom and at a, a fraction of the expense. Yeah. <laughs> well, Justin, yeah. hopefully, hopefully the disruption part of it sparks innovation, sparks new entrepreneurs, sparks that person who lost their corporate job to think I've always wanted to like create a, a cookie making company. What it hopefully yeah. doesn't do is because look, we owned a cafe for eight years, my, my wife and brother-in-law in Brooklyn, and it's hard running a local business. You're going month to month. Hopefully all those smaller cafes and, and restaurants don't shut down and like they, they don't get corporatized. You know, it's like we don't want yeah. to uh, strip malls everywhere. And I don't think that'll happen. I think there may be more shared use of spaces and entrepreneurs collaborating in ways that they hadn't in physical space. That's the thing. I think I think that, that the future of business is not going to be corporations per se, but more people getting together to do projects. And, and, uh, and, and there's going to, there's got to be a reshuffling of how, I mean, the, the current systems of, of capitalism, I'm a capitalist to my core, but not in the way it's being played. It's got to have rules. I mean, even Candyland has rules, right? Uh, so, so the, 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 the thing that, that I would like to see is, is this very thing where, where space is, is considered more and, uh, yeah, there's systems that invite more innovation. The only way that, that the United States can be saved at this point is if the next president of the United States vows to take another trillion dollars and give the entire country free internet and put, you know, give, build smart grids. Uh, if we can deal with our own power and give free internet to everybody, the innovation will be outrageous. Yeah. I mean, look, the thing, I mean, there's a lot of great coverage of the first responders and I don't know if you saw the Global Citizen broadcast, which I thought was well done. Um, but the reality of the percentage of of lower income, you know, youth that don't have access to this the streaming and then are are not getting the same education that 
that others are fortunate enough to get with the right digital tools. Like that's a huge issue that, you know, I think is going to re rethink and relook at allocations of budgets. Um, you know, going back to some of the core things of, of, uh, hopefully putting more value in our teachers and maybe that changes the economic dynamics and starting salaries of Mm -hmm. really shifting fundamentally some things in some industries. So what do you think, what do you think is going to happen with these restaurants? I mean, like we're saying like 50% of restaurants financially won't be able to survive this thing. Now that doesn't mean that's going to be the actual result given that the government might intervene or there might be some sort of later intervention in all this. But I mean, how, how do you see these companies still finding a way to not, die like how, how do they stay alive how do they stay afloat like what are what are some ideas that they can employ here yeah no i think um i mean look i, I have a unique perspective of that again because uh we owned a cafe two blocks from where we lived and uh yeah. and i my wife always used to joke because i'd be like wow we're crushing it it's packed and like at the end of the month we'd like the toilet would break down and we'd be like oh we lost money again this month <laughs> the margins with restaurants are already very small I was hearing like three days of cash flow is an average. Does that sound about right? Yeah, it's it's uh, you know now we we actually lead dog owned uh, a good portion of the cafe, so we had a, a bigger company involved. But unfortunately, you know those the staff have been the waiters, the busboys, the line the line cooks, the sous chefs. They've already all been laid off, um, so they don't have a big you know safety net. So hopefully, the government support. Let's them come back. I think there's going to be going to have to be a market shift and flexibility related to the the leases and the renting of the space, mm-hmm. particularly if we come back and you say, hey, you can reopen, but now you can only have a quarter of the number of seats um, because of social distancing, for as an example. So, you know, but I think there'll be innovations in delivery. There already has um, there'll probably again, maybe three restaurateurs saying, hey, let's share this space together. Um, I think there'll be probably more content and programming innovation that happens within restaurants. So I think there will be things that come out of it. And look, for the restaurants that shut down, if there's an empty lease where there may have been flexibility in the past or or longevity where a landlord would say, I'm going to hold on to this space and hold out for the higher price, I think there'll be a lot more flexibility and like really low rents. So that will probably create the next restaurant door to come in. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I look at this as the, as far as the restaurant industry. This is like uh, the the Precambrian uh, meteorite that destroyed like ninety eight percent of the life on Earth, and eventually there was this whole new <laughs> sort of uh, you know evolution. So I, I I kind of see that that this is like a meteorite on on some level, especially in the restaurant industry. I, let me ask you, how did you end up doing what you're doing to begin with? Um, it uh. <laughs> It's interesting. So sports marketing now, you know, 2020 is so much bigger than it was when, you know, I graduated from the University of Richmond in 1989. And I, you know, I took a class my senior year on sports marketing. All the messaging was you have to go get your graduate degree in sports marketing to try and even get a job. At the last weekend of college, I got like on a piece of paper, like three inches long, the phone number of one of my fraternity brothers, dads who worked at the Astrodome in Houston. And, uh, you know, many months of cold calling and flying myself to, uh, to Houston to interview and was able to get a job as an administrative assistant at the Astrodome. So I got kind of my foot in the door at the lowest level. Um, I always kind of think back to that uh, as an aside, because I got off the phone with them when I first talked and they're like, oh, come through Houston when you're, because I was going on a cross country kind of backpacking trip with fraternity brothers. And I don't know why my dad was home from school or home from work that day. And he said, you know what, you should call them back right now. This is the CEO who knows if they'll be there. So I called right back and said, you know what, I'll fly there anytime on my own dime. So I worked into his schedule. So I, I'm a big believer of like lean forward, put yourself out there that can create, you know, the luck for you. Got my foot in the door. We, you know, we owned the Astros, the baseball team ran the Astrodome. I'm a big believer of being able to wear a lot of hats was very lucky. We owned hotels. We, we had conventions, you know, sports events, concerts, and then, uh, you know, old school way. I sent like multiple letters to the NBA, including uh, a long letter to David Stern saying I had a dream of being commissioner someday and uh, got an entry level job there and moved back. It was I played basketball my whole life. So that was, you know, NBA is my my sport and uh, 
got my foot in the door there and ended up helping to plan some of the bigger events, all-star games, drafts, and then was lucky enough, again, raised my hand. The World Championships of Basketball is in Toronto, and I heard we may send someone there. So I, you know, I was single, and I raised my hand and said, hey, I'd move to Toronto. And, and I got sent to Toronto, and it was a kind of a lucky, high-profile opportunity. So I, I just had things, one thing sparked the other. And then uh, really at the NBA, or back at the Astrodome, was when I first had the spark to start my own company. So I was working on this big bid to bid on the World Cup of Soccer, and I was assigned an agency to help me. And I remember I was like 24 and this guy had an agency with a couple of great clients. And I just remember thinking he was not bringing any value at all and was kind of a character. And I'm like, <laughs> if this guy could have his own company, I could have my own company someday. So I actually doodled different names then and came up with the name Lead Dog Marketing Group back then when I was 24 and then, you know, dusted it off. Uh, any uh, relation to Shoe Dog? Um, you know, it's funny you say that because when you talk about binging, if I'm uh, if I look a little tired, I stayed up late last night. I'm almost finished with Shoe Dog. I'm late to the game reading it, but it's an amazing book uh, with some interesting principles about about putting on different hats and diversity of uh, tackling things, which I love. Uh, I just I just read Shoe Dog, um, the the Phil Knight Phil Knight, right? That's his yeah, name. I'm not messing it up. The, the founder of Nike. Exactly. That, yeah, that's a that's an incredible incredible story. So you're you're in the middle of that book right now. Um, I'm, I'm almost done with it. And and not that I want to compare my entrepreneurial story to Phil Knight's because I mean Nike's Nike, but it, but what one of the things that I love in the book I've always been a big believer of from a principle standpoint is he has all these people that were his people that he started working with his his trusted partners that as they got into new areas he got people involved with things where they had no experience, say like he got his legal guy involved with marketing or the person he had to move to run the warehouse had no warehouse experience because they just were able to figure it out and make it happen. And I've always believed, and I think now more than ever during this crisis, it's the folks who can just be nimble, bring a positive attitude and energy and are able to pivot and are open to diving into new areas, even outside their comfort zone. I think those are the ones that thrive and succeed in any environment. And even more so today. Well, I think Phil Knight too. I mean, just reading that book, I don't remember his. I think it was maybe Johnson was his, maybe the employee number yeah. one or two. Jeff Johnson. Yeah, he was like one of the reasons Phil Knight was able to succeed was that guy. I mean, like you have to look at like complementary skill sets too and timing and and how um, yes, Phil Knight was the visionary behind the thing and and he was essential to make it grow to the level it grew. But like Johnson was the guy that like kept them afloat when they needed it because he was the sales guy. He was exactly. the one that was closing the deals. So it's just kind of it's an interesting story to look back and see like, wow, if he wasn't there, this probably would never have taken off. But all the glory goes to the visionary, which, which is like Wozniak and Jobs, too. Right. So I, I couldn't agree more. I think one of the big things and I when I look back or when I've talked to other entrepreneurs who maybe have stuck at a certain size and can't get over the hump. So much of it, I think, is having complementary skill sets. And people that you know do well on the things that are are your weaknesses, and I, I genuinely feel like Lead Dog probably be out of business if I didn't have business partners that were complementary, and also that you you vibe with. Right, you go through so much, and you see from the Shoe Dog book, they went through so many challenges and obstacles. No matter how complementary and if the skills are there, but people wouldn't want to hang out at a barbecue or hang out together, it's not going to last through years of challenge. Well, I say often too that your your ability you better have passion for what you do because as entrepreneurs you're going to run into these obstacles where your business almost collapses or you're or you're at the verge where you're you know you have zero money coming in and it's like at that point the people that survive and go on to then thrive are the ones that have to have passion to continue doing what they're doing because you have to you have to weather those storms. Yeah. No, so I, that's been that's something I see like recurring in my business like in the beginning I, I definitely had months like that. So yeah, no, I have memories of tapping into my completely into my 401k and uh yeah. you know getting calls on on a friday you know at 10 being like if we don't get that check you know today we're not gonna be able to make payroll you know many uh many months like that for for too many years yeah 
As as the saying goes, an entrepreneur is someone who works eighty hours a week, so they don't have to work forty. <laughs> I like. So, so, uh, so when when you when you started your agency, uh, did you already have a lot of contacts that you were able to reach out to to get business, or or was there like before you did that and you made that leap? Did you know that you were going to land some clients, or was there? that sort of gap before you actually started landing clients? Yeah, no, it's a good question. Um, I, I definitely didn't have any clients lined up. I, and, and I incorporated the name and then went backpacking for a year. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that was like my pre-business planning, but I, had where'd you go? Of, Where? I dreamed of this backpacking trip and I had had a long kind of vacation after the Olympics in 96, which I worked on the NBA uh, let me take a longer trip. So it kind of exposed my eyes to backpacking and so forth. So when I, where, where'd you go when you backpacked? Uh, ended up going to Europe first, um, spent time bouncing around to like many, many different cities and moving every two days got a little like tiring. So I ended up uh, two and a half months in Prague and got, mm, my, I love Prague. I spent some time there and got my yeah. uh, teaching it as English certificate there. And then, and then spent about five weeks each in Thailand and then in uh, Australia, New Zealand, um, that were just amazing. And Nepal. Sorry, I went and hiked the Annapurna Circle, wow. which was amazing. So who were your um, like? Who was your first clients, and how did you get them? And then who was your first major client? Also, I want to hear both those. Or were they the same? Okay, it's kind of the same. So I got back from that backpacking trip. This was before all the technology, and I really I shouldn't say it like this, but I had I had no clue. I had like a two page document that was like my notes of like who I would reach out to. And I think Andrews, to your question, what I look back now on is I'm thankful that I've always had the approach to try and be on good terms with all people and to build mm -hmm. relationships. And I don't care if that's a commissioner or the janitor. And, and I think, and it wasn't done because I'm like, Oh, I'm going to have an agency someday. I think it's just a, hopefully a philosophy on life. Um, and what I realized when I started lead dog, that thankfully a lot of people I worked with at the NBA, um, had, you know, spread out at different places, a lot of great people there. So all my first clients were really people that I knew from there because I had no agency resume. So I remember this woman that was hired by Major League Baseball to do the all-century team at Fenway in 99, which was this major big celebration. And luckily there was, I used to hire her for NBA All-Star Game and a gentleman who was at the NBA was over at baseball. So they brought me in literally for a week to work on the field to help produce the all-star game. And I impressed some people at baseball. So like the first check for lead dog was like a $2,000 freelance check for me when it, when lead dog was just me in Fenway. And then luckily the folks at baseball liked us and they hired lead dog for the next eight years to help produce the major league baseball all-star game. So it was a little surreal that 20 years later, Last year, we just brought the Yankees Red Sox to London for the first games ever in London. Uh, I had one of those like pinch my skin moments. Uh, so it, the irony was baseball was a big name client. So that added credibility right away. But it was always like such a small uh, fee in the context of it because it was just a small team that was going. And then I'll never forget, I worked on the marathon and I was getting people to do interviews for a stage at the marathon for like nothing when we started. And this one woman I went up to and she said, oh, what do you do? And I said, oh, we're doing this. And I'll never forget, she pulled a business card out of her shoe and said, oh, I work at the American Cancer Society, call me. I'm thinking she's about to run the marathon with a business card in her shoe, that's bizarre. And we ended up being hired by American Cancer Society doing Making Strides Against Breast Cancer in Central Park for the next 15 years. So there's a million stories of like, when you put yourself in situations and you're open and you talk to people and you kind of put yourself out there, believe me, there's been many times where I like go into that circle at a conference and get the awkward, like shouldered out. Um, so you definitely get used to rejection, but, uh, but then knock on wood, once you start doing good work, the word of mouth starts to lead to other relationships and yeah, they, they often show up in weird ways, I would say. So, yes. Yeah, it, it, exactly. And you never know, you never know where, where the road uh, takes you. I always, I always liken it to um, 
you know, when you when you dream, uh, certain things that show up in your dream represent symbols of something that you're dealing with with your subconscious. But uh, in your waking life, you can do the same thing where you notice something like, you know, the energy is just popping in a certain direction. And uh, if you follow where that is, it can lead you places and you can start to decipher what your uh, psyche is saying to you. Because there's so much input that we take during the day. Those things that stick out, they mean something. Right? Yeah, no, I, I think just building off the word dream, I remember when I was starting Lead Dog and going to one of the business partners I brought in. And at the time, I had read Mike, uh, Mark McCormick's book, The Founder of IMG, and IMG was like the biggest, most known sports marketing agency. So I was just like, oh, we're going to be the next IMG. And, you know, I think he almost didn't join the company because he thought that was so ridiculous and grandiose and that, you know, was never happened. And uh, I was like, why not? I'm like, if you have that belief, like, I don't want to like shoot for being like, hey, let's be the 50th best sports marketing agency. <laughs> like, right. that's not that inspiring. And uh, knock on wood, it's kind of surreal again when like, you know, we won agency of the year last year and we were, you know, been up against IMG and different things and, and uh, to, you know, have grown over the years by a lot of, a lot of singles. Uh, it, you know, I think one of the things for entrepreneurs is it, it's not necessarily like the home run that changes your business overnight and the one big client. It's just the steady day in and day out, like time to make the donuts and doing the donuts really well. That can be the difference. Yeah. So, so if you could go back in time and talk to that, that 20 something year old self who's, who first started that company, what advice would you give your younger self? Ah, uh, interesting. Um, you know, I, I definitely would, uh, probably, well, this is a catch 22. So forgive me here. I would probably say, reach out to some people with different business experience. Cause my dad had philosophical life experience but he was an Allstate agent for 30 years. So um, I probably would have gotten different people specifically who had worked for agencies to give me advice because I literally, I didn't know how to price things. I didn't <laughs> staff things. It was, it, was, uh, it was like someone showing up in Sweden being like, you know, I'm going to make, uh, no, is that a bad joke? I was going to say make Swedish meatballs, but it's going to sound like I'm making fun of Sweden. Um, so I, I think getting other experience, but then the flip side of that is, I, I probably wouldn't have, I would have gotten advice not to tap into my 401k to keep our staff together. And Karen, who's been my business partner for 20 years, probably wouldn't be at the company today because we would have like gotten smaller or, so you look at different moments. I, I think I'd want to hit pause on certain times and also look back and be like something changing. The world's not collapsing. So I've gotten more used to over time. If a staff person leaves, I don't think the world's collapsing or a client parts ways with us. So I think that perspective, because I, I think I can still do a better job of that as a leader, you want to be the one who can like through the, through the storm, be the calm that other people can lean on. So I think probably my energy and my hyperactivity, uh, probably at those times I could have been a little more calm. And if I had other senior voices saying like, Hey, th this stuff happens, I think would have been helpful. And, you know, you, you just pinpointed the difference between a leader and a manager, right? Uh, and it, it's it, one of the things that I think is so interesting about this this time is is that where we're really seeing who's managing and in some cases managing not very well and who's leading and who's even going from, I mean, de Blasio whatever you think about his politics, put that aside because the guy went from being a manager to a leader, uh, straight, straight, like you just saw the transition. Blasio or Cuomo? And, uh, I see Cuomo, like the main guy. Yeah. Yeah. That's what, that's what I mean. Uh, Cuomo. Cuomo. Yeah. Sorry. Cuomo's, uh, Cuomo's brand, brand stock, you know, has, has amplified so much from all this and his daily briefings. I mean, it's like, he's teed up for like, a, you know, you know, there's going to be buzz about, uh, 2024 him being a presidential candidate uh, there's already buzz about 2020 so yeah, yeah. 2024. And, and, yeah. And, exactly you know the, the guy the guy's a little right on his politics uh for my liking but it doesn't matter i would vote for the guy because he's obviously a leader and and a strong leader is like man uh it goes a long long way so it, as part of your business strategy, it sounds like, as you said, being the calm before the storm, but also having enough self-awareness that you, you recognize when you work, 
right? Well, Which- and and look, it's interesting because and and Justin reading Shoe Dog, you know, this like being a leader doesn't mean you don't have a million flaws. Like my business partners would probably laugh if they heard a reference to me calm before the storm because I'm so hyper and energetic. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. but I I think again, it's like part of what Andrew you're saying. If you're leading, hopefully, even though you're making mistakes, you screw up. Sometimes you overreact. If there's enough consistency and having people's back and also being out front with taking responsibility for things, um, hopefully that resonates with people and they stick by you um, through through tough times. And knock on wood, like I'm fortunate. I have business partners. We went through 9-11 together. We went through the recession together. So in some ways, when this started happening with coronavirus, I brought our team together and said, hey, we've been through challenges. Like this is just another one. So we're, we're more well positioned to get through this than most because we've been through all these situations. And look, the extreme, we work in sports marketing and sports has come to a halt. So the ability to pivot. And look, I think this goes from a business standpoint. We're pivoting into areas we were already working in. So we've done a lot of integrated marketing and digital and influencers. I think you know that that's a long, ongoing thing of investing in the next thing. I think the companies that you know didn't, find that time or bandwidth or invest in that time over the last couple of years, those are the ones that are probably going out of business or are screwed now or, or not coming across as authentic to their clients because they're saying they can do something when they really can't. On the leadership side, I think like what you said there um, that you, you could still have flaws is really how you show up situationally. I think like, so if you show up, like look at like Andrew Cuomo, um, and I'm saying that's the governor's name, right? Andrew, my that, that's first name. Okay, good. <laughs> why did yeah, I say De Blasio? I don't. I don't even. He's the mayor. He's the mayor. Oh, that's why. Uh, yeah, uh, but it's it's how you show up situationally, but then also, um, but also having the awareness of, of also being somewhat on at all times because you know in this modern social media economy, we also can't be turned off at any point at the wrong time where we could do damage yeah. to our brand too. So yeah. it's, a, it's a little bit of a combination there, and, but I mean, like, and, and it is, it is kind of interesting. I mean, take uh, uh, a, a very well-known uh, trillion dollar company whose name rhymes with Amazon. Uh, they, uh, you know, it's like everybody's ordering from them, but I, a lot of people are suddenly like, wait a minute, like how is this package getting to me and what's happening along the way? And I think that although Jeff Bezos is doing very well now, there's going to be a lot of room for people to go to hell with Amazon. I want to, I want something different. And I think, I, I think it's going to hurt his brand in the long run. I think part of the difference is, look, I mean, it, uh, look, there's all the convenience. There's all the at your fingertips. And then there's the reality of when you're seeing in your neighborhood a bunch of storefronts empty that, yeah, I think that's going to potentially be a shift. And then as you hear some of the stories of like pay and so forth. Look, I think one of the things that's interesting and has been, I, I guess you'd say a struggle for me, um, is also how you have to evolve leadership or management styles. Because I personally am an in-person person. My style is I like to walk around the office, like be engaging with people, joking. So all of a sudden I'm disconnected from what where I get my my energy from is physically seeing people. And obviously there's a lot of people who draw their energy from that. So it's like how you pivot in your communication style um, and still be able to do that. So one of the things we've been doing is like, you know, I had a lunch with six people last week from around the country just to do a small a lunch talk where we all got on a call for an hour and a half and had lunch together and open questions and forum and not just about work, but hey, what are you what are you binge watching? What are you reading? What are you doing for fitness? What's going on with your kids? Like, I think that human side that we're all going through this and it's not like, you know, because you're a leader or because you're some exec that you're a robot. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the things that I also find very interesting about this is that all of a sudden I'm in my colleagues' living rooms. I'm hearing their children, right? So, so everyone has become a lot more human because we, you know, in some cases, and I, I'm sure you've seen some of these viral videos where somebody forgets to shut off their camera and you actually see them go pee. And, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. and they're, all of their colleagues are like cracking up. I mean, it's just- no, I, was on, I was on a call with, uh, with Cirque du Soleil a week ago and my son snuck in and came up behind me and grabbed me on the shoulder, scared the <laughs> shit out of me. <laughs> Yeah, but that's yeah. A, and it's so funny because do you remember when um god this was a, about two years ago there was this viral video of this guy doing his report yeah did you see that and then the, and then this the the baby comes in and then the other baby comes in and then the mother comes in and frantically like 
gets the children out. And, and it, it was like such a big deal, but it, cause it felt so human, but now, but now it's like, it's, it's kind of common. Yeah. I think it also shows like, again, like hopefully the human side for whether it's clients or like when we've had, you know, one of my coworkers, kids is regularly coming in the video and people's first reaction is like, Oh no, no, get out of here. And it's like, no, 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 come on over, join the call. Like having, having fun with it. Yeah. And I think, I think that's an aspect because there's so much change. There's a bit of people and nervousness for their own jobs that it's like, I, I don't want to take a day off. And I don't know. I keep saying to people like, Hey, this has been a lot. Like, when are you taking a personal day? When are you just saying, I'm being, oh, I'm, man. I'm drinking, I'm, I'm going on a long run, like just unplug. Um, like authentic. So like, if, it's okay if you're doing a podcast and like your kid shows up in the background and to not edit that out even at times, like, and we, we've had this kind of been a, a movement towards this authenticity ahead of coronavirus, even where like some people like the ums and the ahs in these things. And they like to see the real human side. They don't want the polished edited stuff right. anymore. The authenticity. That we've already been trying. Well, I love hearing that because I've, I've heard many times, that I say too many ums, so uh, that's what it is. that's a Toastmasters <laughs> philosophy. Well, you, you know, this is this is uh, uh, one of the things that I I hope you know we we start to shift as from here on moving forward that that we we stop being such grown ups at work, right? And and we're allowed to be a, a bit more free to be who we are, you know. And I think that there's a lot more of that. I mean, uh, recently I've been talking about just randomly on the show. I talk about uh, sometimes, uh, microdosing. And at first that was such a taboo subject. Now I'm kind of like, I'm just out with it. Like who cares? You know, it's, it's, so yeah. these types of subjects. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, look, I came out, I'm, I'm doing this from a barn and I came in and, and uh, I don't know if it would be called microdosing, but I walked in, I felt like I was going to get, get contact buzz from, uh, the being in like the pot den of my, uh, <laughs> my wife. Yeah. My artist studio. And so, you know, I think to your point, my first, one of my first bosses, Neil, bless his soul, he passed away a few years ago. He always, he was the executive vice president of this big company. He'd call me and pretend he was Japanese and he was trying to rent the Astrodome. And then he'd be like, get, get your ass up here. Like that aspect of work doesn't have to be like so serious. Yeah. Everybody was in kindergarten one day and we can actually have fun and laugh. Yeah. And then there's more production. And one of the things that, that I'm just like stunned about the United States, especially living here in the Netherlands is that the average American gets two weeks off per year and they don't take it. The average American does not take their vacation over here. Mandatory four weeks off mandatory per person. And you have to take it. In fact, if your company keeps you at their job, the company will get fined. You have to take your vacation. Yeah, I mean, I think from a standpoint of being in a creative industry and at an agency, it's like talk about stifling or smothering creativity. If someone wasn't taking two weeks out of 52 weeks to get away from it all, it's like it's classic. It's like the classic of you're brainstorming all day and you come up with the, the best idea when you're on a run or in the shower. It's like you need that you need that time away um, to just yeah. really unplug. Yeah. But I got to ask, I got to take a break here and ask about a couple of your clients because you have some unique clients on that list there. Um, we had mentioned before the show that you had worked with Vince McMahon with the WWE or WWF probably when you did and uh, and the XFL, the first rendition of it. I, I just want to spend a little bit of time. We're getting toward the end here, so we don't want to go too deep on this, but I do want to, I got to ask you about it. I want to hear a couple of stories maybe real quick. Yeah, no, it, it's funny you mentioned WWF too, because we did work with them in that in the transition from WWF to WWE. And I remember they, you know, had a big billboard campaign like, you know, get the F out. Um, yeah, I remember that actually, yeah. I mean, Vince, uh, we're very fortunate to have worked with WWE on WrestleMania for 15 plus years. And when you talk entrepreneurship, he's the epitome of an entrepreneur. You know, WrestleMania one is a great story. He kind of bet the everything on that. And they probably would have gone out of business and it was a huge success. And so he talked about pushing the limits and taking, not taking no for an answer, like inspiring from that standpoint. And he knows, you know, he, he doesn't take no for an answer when he wants something. And there's, there's power to that with the will of an entrepreneur. So yeah, he probably, he probably would have succeeded with XFL version two, had it not been for this uh, coronavirus pandemic here. And it's still, there's still a chance it could resurrect again, but probably unlikely at this point. Yeah, no, it's uh I mean, look, uh, they were doing well relatively to a, a new startup in terms of attendance and ratings. So it was unfortunate timing relative to coronavirus. Obviously, you know, that the biggest unanticipated 
change, uh, not a normal market for us. So um, it's a shame that we couldn't see what, what would have turned out with that. Yeah, I agree. Mm. So um, I think we're, we're kind of at the end here. So uh, I think we want to transition a bit and I want to hear a little bit about what you're geeky about right now. Uh, and this could be a little bit in business and a little bit in personal, like, what are you watching? Are you watching Netflix, you watching movies, <laughs> like reading books. I know you read Shoe Dog, but what else is going on there? Yeah, I'm trying to take in different things, which again, I think sparks creativity and ideas. So um, Shoe Dog on the one side, really has sparked again in me like entrepreneurial kind of like reminding me that fearless nature to like go for it. Um, but I also just read untamed by Glennon Doyle, uh, which I don't know if you're familiar with, who's amazing. Uh, who's that? Who is that? Uh, Glennon Doyle Melton. Um, she's an inspirational speaker, motivational speaker. Um, she untamed is about her actually breakup with her husband and then her getting married to Abby Wambach, the famous soccer player, and just that whole transition of life and kids and um, really an amazing story of continuing to find yourself. And uh, she's got a book called Love Warrior, which I haven't read, but she's amazing. And then I think from the, you know, there's the go-tos that are for me always, like the New York Times is just always the go-to in terms of content and where I want to get like the updates on the news. I think separately we've been in this kind of like retro uh using the time to introduce our son jackson to nostalgic things of uh michelle my wife and i so we've watched uh, all three austin powers movies which he loved um we've just actually cut it off last night inspector the second james bond movie um i'm jealous of uh daniel craig's physique so i i probably should be doing more <laughs> home fitness um and uh and then actually the last dance, you know, which has been amazing and nostalgic for the Bulls, and uh, got back into Killing Eve a little bit, which I don't know if you've uh, I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it. It's on my list. I want to see it. You worked for you worked some for Netflix a little bit too, right? You actually did. We did, yes. Wait, real, real quick, we're gonna hear a little bit because you said I think you said you did some stuff on Stranger Things, like before. Yeah, we started. Stranger Things. If you haven't talked, uh, I'd recommend to anybody uh, listening. Love Stranger Things. Amazing. I'm trying to convince my son. He's been scared to watch it. So I'm, I can't wait to watch it a second time with him. But um, I've watched all of that. We actually launched Stranger Things, taking over the Santa Monica Pier and also a big presence at Coney Island uh, to, to help launch the show, which was uh, super exciting. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, you can't go wrong with with Netflix just has so much uh, so many so many different options and their culinary platforms as well. My wife's a big foodie. Um, she has a, a cooking business actually called cook space in Brooklyn. So nice. Cool. Nice. Yeah. That, that's, uh, that must be pretty exciting. Well, uh, I gotta, I gotta say that, uh, I am just geeking out over the fact that you got to do some marketing stuff for stranger things. That would be, that's pretty cool. So super cool. We had, a, we had a Netflix guy on the show, like, uh, it was like a year ago, but he, he, I think you did a lot of the artwork stuff on that side. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. We've been very lucky. It's fun when you work on things like, and then you see in the news, like, you know, we've worked with Oprah for years or ABC, good morning America. And, and when you work on something like stranger things, then becomes like <laughs> a phenomenon, <laughs> yeah. cultural phenomenon. Um, we just launched a museum, which unfortunately now is temporarily shut down called Photographiska, which actually, um, the first one's in Stockholm, Sweden. We just opened on 22nd and park in New York, did all the marketing for, um, which was a great, exciting experience. So yeah, we're lucky to work on, uh, a bunch of signature things. Like, uh, I long for the days when I was in Miami. Um, you know, we did a lot around the Super Bowl for the broadcast side. We were involved with the Lady Gaga Saturday night concert. Did you get to meet, uh, the lady herself? I didn't know. I was the schlep who was just in uh, in the seats with some sponsors, but um, she put on an amazing show. Oh, yeah. uh, uh, incredible. She's my dream client. If I could work with one person, I would love to work with Lady Gaga. Um, well, with the time on her hands, I'd recommend if you haven't watch the documentary of her halftime performance at the Super Bowl. It's uh, really great. Is that a five foot two one. Is that what it's called? Or is that, or I know there's a, there's a documentary called that about Gaga. It might be it. I don't know. Okay. I'm not sure the name of it, but uh, it's really good showing kind of the build up to her, her performing at the Super Bowl. Cool. I, yeah, I definitely got to see it. I, I have, she, she went from like someone I was like, ah, another pop, whatever. And then 
then I went through this whole period where I'm like, I hate to admit that I really like this. <laughs> and now, then, then after she, like, she did, uh, starts, yeah, I'm like, this woman, she's cool. She's done yeah. this weird art stuff that's really interesting and uh, art dance and movement. And it's, it's cool. Um, I got to tell you, I, I, here's my recommendation. I just saw on Netflix one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. It's a, it's a show called oh, I, can't wait. I want to see it now. The, the Midnight Gospel. And it's, it's weird. It's beyond, it's very weird. And, but it's cool. It's uh, Duncan Trussell, who's a comedian and he has this very strange podcast where he interviews people. Um, and uh, he's a, he's like a, he's a big burning man person and uh, he has crazy friends uh, and Duncan Trussell and uh, Pendleton, Ward Pendleton, who did uh, Adventure Time uh is uh the animator and it it's basically it's hard to explain but uh it's almost it's like yellow submarine for our generation it's a very very strange show but it's cool i'll have to check that out well justin yeah. if you're if you're the sports guy i would highly recommend i'm somewhat obsessed with the ringer the podcast uh hmm. that bill simmons does that yeah. talks sports but also talks lifestyle he just, sold, he just sold that entire network. He had a whole network of podcasts for like a billion or something, right? Who bought it? Uh, I don't can't remember who bought not, it. Not that, not that territory, but but yeah, he sold it's it to like, yeah. probably in just uh just in the nick of time before coronavirus. Uh um, but yeah, did did sounds like did very well. There's a guy that got kind of run out of ESPN and had his own entrepreneurial struggles too, and then he turned it around and huge success. That's a cool story, yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a really it's a well done podcast. Justin, what are you uh, geeky about right now? I guess I've just been watching a lot of YouTube recently, like just watching podcast interviews that people do video-wise. And then I've been watching some stock market stuff, just kind of curious on like what's going on. And I find it interesting that we've talked a little bit about this, how like right now in the markets, like the entire wealth of the world has shifted into like the top 1% of companies now control the 1% of the wealth. And so it's not just individuals anymore. It's like the companies too, like Amazon, Facebook, all these, all the big tech companies are like, they've grown during this whole thing. It's It's crazy to... It doesn't all make sense too, because the market should be like way low right now, but it's, it's uh, right now it's almost at pre pandemic levels, which makes zero sense. Well, and you wonder like what uh, will that shift when they talk about the 1% of the 1%, what shifts there'll be to like, you know, I know Europe's already been doing this regular regulatory wise, like to break up companies. Um, it's going to happen. It's going to, it's inevitable. It may, I mean, it depends on who the president is and it depends on things that happen, but it's inevitable that it's going to happen in the next 20 years for sure. Well, I, I, I think that, that something's got to break in half before, you know, there's the, the big uh, shift, but man, I, I, uh, I, I, I definitely see something like this is just the tip of the iceberg. There's going to be such a big global people 500 years from now, I guarantee will say, can you imagine living through that time? That must've been crazy. And uh, we're going to, we're going to live through it. Yeah. It's a weird time. It's definitely a transition period for sure. It is. Yeah. But you know what? You see the human spirit come to life and it's like, as much as you get down at different points and things and obstacles, like, and then you're reminded every day by just the power of the human spirit. It's uh, what yeah. we're going to get through this. I, I love it. Well, uh, Dan Mannix, everybody, where can we find you? Where, where, where can people find you? Um, well, uh, I'm on Instagram, uh, which is where I, mostly just of my son dancing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. Uh, <laughs> basketball too, right? Some hoops. Uh, exactly. <laughs> some sports, but, uh, and some beach shots, but mostly like weird videos, uh, that are, are bad homemade videos. And, uh, and then, you know, that, that's, my, that's my main platform. Uh, I, I've tried to consciously not be the, uh, the CEO who's waxing poetic with a long blog and there's, there's a, too much marketing speak out there in that form. So I've tried to stay away from that. <laughs> so are you on LinkedIn though? Can people connect with you on LinkedIn? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Great. Great. And, and, uh, your, uh, your website, um, website, uh, csm.com csm.com that's a great url man short one short and sweet yeah yeah <laughs> so uh all right well dan mannix everybody thank you so much for being on the show thank you guys such an honor great conversation uh stay safe man stay healthy over there you too thanks so much appreciate it guys dan mannix everybody <laughs> Woo! 
that was uh, that was cool. There was there, that. Uh, uh, I Even like though that it was sports, he still he still crossed into your world a little bit, right? He crossed into my world, but you know what? He uh, he was able to touch certain pain points in my demographic uh, with some of the ways he related his own personal journey. Yeah, and uh, because he was authentic about it. So that uh, that my friends. That is uh, how it's done, I guess. One of these days, maybe we'll do it too. Who knows? <laughs> Authenticity, vulnerability, uh, and, and just being like showing up in the in situations like leaders show up. I mean, that's that, like that's right. That's right. It's 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 uh, you know being as he said, being the calm uh, during the storm, not telling people to drink disinfectant. That's not <laughs> always helpful. always a good decision to not do that. Not helpful at all. Uh, so, uh, hey, Iris. Hey, Andra. Uh, you want to come on over here? My wife is is here, and yeah, you, you know what she's gonna do? What, what, what's yeah. that? <laughs> she, that's why she has to be here. She lives here. Uh, this is uh, this is her. Hello. Um, Hello, my, uh, hello, my sweet, hello, my sweet Iris. Hey, and uh, and uh, uh, she has for us what I am geeky about because that's what you normally yeah. ask. Is I definitely think everybody should watch Afterlife on Netflix. Hmm. It's with uh, Ricky Gervais. How do you pronounce uh, it? Uh, Ricky Gervais. It's Ricky Gervais. It's so good. It's uh, um, a drama comedy. And it's super intense, beautiful, beautiful music, music, and it's very, yeah, very honest. It's it's amazing. Everybody should watch it. So that there was my go. geeky news. All right. Well, there's my wife, ladies and gentlemen, Miss Iris Sturgeon. See you next week. Thank you so much for producing the show. She produces the show here. She answers the emails. She does the social media posts. Basically, basically, if if it weren't for her, we'd just be two guys with microphone cords wrapped around our necks watching you know, <laughs> VR porn or something. I don't know, but uh, maybe that, maybe, maybe that was just me. I'm thinking about I, it. I do. I do. Uh, I gotta, I gotta check out this Ricky Gervais thing. I did like when he, uh, when he went on and attacked Hollywood, I just thought that was funny. Cause anyone that just goes after Hollywood is always amusing to me. So <laughs> yeah, I, he's, uh, and it's funny because now it's like, well, do we, do we get him and just have him like poke fun at us or do we get someone else? But now like with those types of jobs, nobody wants the job. It was the most like, awkward. That was the most awkward, um, hosting job ever. It was, I mean, that, it was just, it was funny because it was awkward also. That was part of the funniness. Yeah, and but but it's it's kind of sad that it's basically like anybody who takes that job, they're going to go through their underwear to find, you know. Well, that's weird. why they're. I mean, the Oscars are pretty much planning on continuing the no host no host model, and I think that, yeah, that was, and, was that the Golden Globes. They'll probably do the same thing now that they screwed up with Ricky Gervais. Yeah, and so now the now the Oscars are going to be uh, continuously considered irrelevant. I mean, it's, and they already it, were going that way anyway, but it's even faster now. Yay. I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah, me too. I'm okay with that, and I'm okay with the song Money for Nothing never being played again. Ever. <laughs> Ever again. Forever. So with that, ladies and gentlemen... Yeah, we'll, we'll play that to end the show here. <laughs> <laughs> please, uh, please leave a comment, uh, uh, you know, on your favorite podcast app, uh, and uh, tell 500 of your closest friends about us. Stay safe. Stay healthy, everybody. We are the Marketing Geeks. Let's stay classy. Stay classy. Marketing geeks, come on, bring your friends. We'll learn marketing from distant lands. On the surgeon and Justin Womack, the fun will never end. It's marketing geeks. We are the marketing geeks. That's our that's what our theme song sounds like. <laughs> marketing geeks.